This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our guest that's coming up. He is pretty much the godfather of podcasts. This guy, Adam Carolla, has been doing this before before I was born. <laughs> you know, it's. It, did you write that down? Because I have that in our little background packet. I have that precise wording written down that he is the godfather of podcasts. And I'm sure there are others, but at least of the ones that I'm aware uh, of, he's the mm. guy. I can't imagine yeah. him wanting to come on a podcast after doing uh, this a is, podcast. Dude, uh, he does I think he does like f- 5 of them. I mean, he's prolific still to this day. The fact that he even would come on here, I would just be like, I'm not doing shit. I'm not doing any more podcasts for anybody else. I'm too busy doing mine, but he loves it, I guess. Yeah. He loves I mean, it. he loves to hear himself talk. Mhm. Yeah. I did a podcast for a friend today, earlier today, and I just, I found myself at the end of it just wanting, there was an inside voice in my head telling me to shut up because I was just going mm-hmm. so long with every answer that <laughs> I, I, the, the thing just lasted for an hour and a half. And the, he's like, oh my Who's, God, that was amazing. We're going to split yeah. that up and put, make that into two episodes. I'm like, oh, sorry. I, I, yeah. I didn't mean to do that. Whose was it? Uh, Tom Brenneman, a mm. uh, colleague of mine, but a longtime friend, and I did it, and he kind of grew up the way I did with a broadcaster father, and he and I started at Fox together at the same time. So mm, I went on the podcast. Nice it was you. good to talk to it's good to talk to somebody that has a lot of the same experiences. It would be like you talking to uh, like Brad Pitt. No. Oh. No. It'd be like uh, you talking to... George uh, Clooney. No. No. Okay. It would be like you talking to... Carrot Top. No. It would be like you talking to the singer that sang Blurred Lines, who had a dad... Oh, 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 Thick. Robin Thick's son. Robin Thick. No, Robin Al- Thick. Robin Thick. Alan Thick's son, yeah. Alan Thick's son, because like you... Robin Thicke grew up in a show business family. I love that this is you, you, you racking your brain and you came up with Alan Thicke of all people. I, I, my mind immediately goes to Canadians for some That's reason. That's amazing. You know, I mean, you're, a very, you're, you're a very generous person. You know, you, you do a lot for a lot of people. You say yes. 
to so many things, and it's uh, it's very admirable, Joe, because I that say was, no. That was lot. one of the questions that Tom asked me. Is it hard for you to say no? And you know, the other part of it is, if I'm going to be a guest on a podcast or somebody's radio show, I'm going to give them everything I got. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I am going to, and that gets me in trouble. It got me in trouble on the Colin Coward podcast when I'm being as open and as honest as I can be mm-hmm. talking about having a drink in the booth, not slamming drinks, but having it same way I take my shoes off when I do a broadcast, or I don't like wearing suit pants when I'm doing a broadcast. There's another revelation. I like to be as comfortable as I can be mm. to somehow filter its way into my quote-unquote performance. What do you wear, like, down below? I just wear, you know, like a pair of Travis Matthew golf pants. Like golf or, pants, got yeah. it. And I'll wear shoes that I can easily take off, or if it's cold, I'll wear... Uh, like Doc Martin work boots to make myself feel like I'm going to work. I'm not wearing shoes that you would typically wear with a suit I, or tennis right. shoes or whatever. I just want to be waist up. I'm all busy. I'm like I'm like a human mullet. Like mm-hmm. waist up on the air. I'm right. all business. Waist business. down. Party time, baby. It's party. Yeah, and it it makes sense. You know, since you get hammered in the booth half the time. Shut up. I don't. I've never I've never had a full drink in the booth. That's that's the irony of it. But now we're so it, it brings up a bigger point and something I want to talk mm-hmm. to Adam about. Now that we're in an age where it's just pumped out headlines and, and sometimes they're misrepresentative of what's actually said, or they're you know, it's clickbait. That's what it is. Clickbait. It's it's a, totally. it's a sensational headline. Mm-hmm. When most of the time, the body of the article, the text of the article, doesn't either match the headline or certainly doesn't match the intensity of the headline. So then you've been kind of had. And in the case of Joe Buck or Joe and Troy drink in the booth, that wasn't that wasn't the point. The point was mm. it's like a visual cue to relax, not to drink, to look at and just uh, even even in the in a commercial break. That's what the point was. And that's what I think has made everybody scared to be themselves because of what's going to be pumped out by the producers of those podcasts. And then you got to explain it, even though you've already explained it on the podcast, you're basically mm-hmm. explaining it to people that just read the headline. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. It's I mean, annoying. It's annoying. It's, it's, all, it's all clickbait stuff. Everyone's just looking for a soundbite in these interviews to then post or plaster. So then everybody you know? goes to the Colin Coward podcast, people that weren't right. typically listening to it. So they're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, what did he say? And then they listen to it. They're like, oh, well, that's not what he said. Did you promote daddy issues on this podcast? Yes, I did. I okay. did. Thank I mean, that's most listening. important. Yeah. And then I did an article with the guy in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which was me explaining all this. And I said, I really don't oh, want to talk God. about it anymore because I'm tired of it. And it gives, it gives it more life. If, what happens if you just say, guys, look. I had a sips of a beer. Like, who gives a shit? And uh, I'm done. It's ridiculous. I mean, then well, then you come off as like, ooh, aloof Joe Buck is yeah, an asshole. Yes. Yeah. Right. So you've got to uh, come <laughs> groveling to people for something that didn't happen. You're, you're for forgiveness mm-hmm. for something that, or explanation for something that was never there in the first place. So that's but the it's frustration. Also, the thing is, you won in the public eye. Um, they create the bad. They, 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 
the personality they are, how am I, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. I'm trying to say like a Howard Stern or even an Adam Carolla, they can get away with a lot more than you can, you know, because- Which, which I don't this totally is, understand. This is their brand. This is their brand. You know, take Howard Stern. I mean, Howard Stern, if you go into his catalog and you want to pick apart things that will cancel him today, I mean, you could find a billion things. But yes, he had one little thing that happened and it just kind of went away. But for the most part, no one has said a goddamn word because he's created this brand for himself. And then that's so it makes everything okay. You know, it's 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 kind of strange. It's there's a a bias. But you who are perceived as, you know, down the middle, clean cut, you're an announcer, you're Midwestern, you're Joe Buck. If you if you deviate outside of that lane, you're going to get hammered. Well, that, that's <laughs> no why I, I did, a, uh, I did a, a, <laughs> an article with a guy from The Ringer. And The Ringer, which is Bill Simmons' domain, and, mm. and it was a really good piece because it talked about, you know, the way I actually talk in person, which is a lot of F-bombs and everything mm-hmm. else, and the way Michelle talks because the guy spent two days with me here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you know, Joe Buck is probably a lot taller and bigger than you think he is. Mm-hmm. And when he grew a beard, everybody thought he lost his mind. Yet when Kimmel does it or Conan does it or whatever, it's just a different look. And so mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about doing network sports or sports on TV that's the only, the last bastion of impartiality. Like you're all of a sudden the Walter Cronkite of today's mm-hmm. world and if i deviate from that people go oh he's lost his mind or he's not who we think he is i i just don't understand that i i try to be as open as i can be and then you get hammered no pun intended Woo! or you get smashed for being open Woo! smashed and you, hammered you get at the bombed same time. for being you get bombed <laughs> for being open <laughs> and honest you and get, it's like isn't that what you want from a guest is how they actually are or is everybody even on these dumb things going to put up a guard because they don't want to deal with the fallout of it you know yeah, it's, it's, of a, course. It's, it's not worth it's it. frustrating it's, it's, it's yeah it's you know it's uh they just have to evaluate the risk it's the risk reward you know, and I've, I don't know a lot. I don't know the reward is there for any any risk to be undertaken anymore. Well, more importantly, I shot four under the other day with eight birdies. Um, the game's back, I think. But all you can think about is I need to post what that. you missed, the the putts that you missed, the three putt of on course. eighteen. That's golf. I, That's I, what people that don't understand it. Don't get three putt on eighteen. Golf. I double bo. I had a double bogey three putt on eighteen. Uh, I missed a three foot birdie for for uh, for that would put me at nine birdies, and then I missed another little 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 three footer for par. I mean, it could have been like a real career round for me. But that's one of my favorite lines from Tiger Woods, which to me explains what it is the allure of golf for anybody who loves it, mm-hmm. and that is. His quote, and I saw it the other day in a sports bar restroom. <laughs> it said, and it's Tiger like doing his Tory Pines cheer for himself. Mm-hmm. And he says, in golf, you can always get better. 
It's never good enough, something to that effect. And that's the mm-hmm. exciting part. That's what makes you keep going back, keep going to the mm-hmm. range. Keep this guy was was the best that that maybe ever was, and yet reconfigured his entire swing and has done so multiple times. And he's the best player walking the planet. That should tell mm-hmm. any non-golfer yeah. how crazy the sport can make a golfer. No. Well, the other thing is it's just so unpredictable. It's like one day you're you're you know you shoot a sixty eight and then the next day you can't fucking hit a golf ball. It just makes no sense, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's very frust. It's very 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 frustrating. But this being but- daddy, this being a podcast called Daddy Issues, um, Margot posted something on our uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Margot is our producer, by the way. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm posted something on our social media platforms that was a TikTok of a guy, a parenting expert, but he was answering questions from the audience. And his point to a question about pushing your kids is, is all he wanted was happy kids. And it, mm-hmm. all these parents are so wrapped up in what school the kid goes to, what sports they're involved in, select teams, A's, what the ACT score was, what the SAT score was. And and at the end of the day, all you really want is a kid that's doing what he or she wants and is a content, happy person that will eventually yes. evolve into a, a productive adult. And, and, and beyond that, the other stuff just doesn't matter, right? I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm just going to play devil's advocate for fun. What if you see extreme talent in your kid and you know that with a little pushing that may not be what he or she wants to do at the time, but you know that if you can push your child that they could be something great, do you still – what do you do? I mean, if Earl didn't push Tiger, do you think Tiger would still be Tiger Woods? You know, no. and by the way, it, the good or bad, I don't, I mean, that's not for anyone to judge, but you know, so is there a, is there a time to push your kids? Is there a time to say, Hey, you've got, you have, you have something really special and, and all you want to do is fuck around and, you know, play video games, but I'm going to, I'm going to say, get off your ass and you have to do this because you will not regret it. You're going to thank me later on in your life. I think there's real room for that. And I wish on, on some level that was done for me uh, because I, I, w- I think I veered into the lazy category more times than not when I was a kid or a teenager instead of, you know, I did have some talent throwing a baseball, uh, but I didn't really work at it. And it went away, and I, I I wasn't good enough to even pitch in college, even though I tried. And I and I think had I chased it more rigorously or vigorously, it would have it would have played out where I might have been able to make a college team. But okay, does that does that really change my life? You're talking about otherworldly talent when you bring up Tiger Woods and his dad Earl Woods, who's got his kid at three years old on the Mike Douglas show hitting chip shots and whatever. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that like borders on craziness to me and and the way tiger was ridden as a little boy that's why again i think we talked about this last week um if somebody wants to come on here and be open and honest great on my direct tv show some of the greatest moments i've seen from some tremendous athletes are when their guard is down and they're being vulnerable and really being honest about 
how they failed at something or where they could have been better or where they were scared or where they, whatever that is. But if, if that person's not willing to talk and Tiger was not a part of that HBO documentary, um, I thought in the end Tiger came out looking really good. I'm sure his people didn't like it. But, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it was a story of redemption and him overcoming all these things and winning another Masters and winning another major. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was it, – I came out of it feeling even better about Tiger Woods. But the oh, early me, stuff me is just mind-blowing how that kid was just, you know, almost robotic with, with how he mm-hmm. had to be to fulfill his mm-hmm. father's – dreams for how great his son was going to be it's just rare that it actually happens well we also we've talked about this you know just the pressure i mean that press conference alone when earl's emotional and talking about his son who's sitting right next to him and how he's going to change the world you know it's not just about golf this guy's going to literally like change humanity and you're you're sort of looking at tiger and he's this young impressionable dude who likes to play golf probably just wants to have a good time too and he's probably like what the fuck right thanks i'm gonna change the world like i just want to play some golf and be fucking great but (laughs) and and let's be honest i mean that's a nice sentiment if if that were gonna happen from a father Mm -hmm. but the pressure that puts on and the 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 reality of it is i don't care how great of a golfer he is He's not going to change humanity by being a, mm-hmm. gol- a great golfer. That's absurd. Right. right. So I feel like the joy, the fun, and that to get back to your question, I, I think you can push, suggest, but you can never take the fun out of what your kid is doing because then I think eventually mm-hmm. they resent it, you know? And, and I remember when Natalie, my oldest, it was a really good swimmer really long she was a long kid and could could really move through the water and was good came to her mom and me when she was maybe 14 13 and was like guys i know you really want me to swim and i know i'm pretty good at it and and you really Mm -hmm. want me to see this through but i just can't stare at that black line at the bottom of the pool anymore and go to these two-hour practices of a thousand laps and i can't i was like Okay, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. then her mom and I kind of got into it a little bit. I'm like, that's not fair. You know, if if she's that's how she feels. I I wouldn't want to sit th- I I wouldn't want to do that either. And and if she's mm-hmm. not enjoying it, then move on to the next thing and see if you th- there's only a number of hours in a day. Find out what you really love and then pursue that. And if if it's not swimming, then fine. Yeah, I mean, but our job our job as parents our job as parents, though, to, or I think, to at least expose our kids to opportunities, you know, for them to find passion in them. You know, I mean, we, we do have to take that on, I think, meaning like they've never played baseball or they've never, you know, played the violin or whatever it is. It's exposing them to yeah. potential talents as well. And, and honestly, I feel like I've done such a shitty job at that. And I, I think that. I'm. I can probably just be selfish and be. And I, I, I kids are happy. I'm happy. You know. Let's but that's just good. Hang out. I mean, it's not. It's I not, guess it's but, not realistic to think that you're going to be in like the decathlon but, of, of no, hobbies no, no. every day. 
Yeah, but shouldn't they play an instrument or at least expose them to that? And then, you know, or sports in some way and say, hey, look, you guys, just try it out. You know, if they're like, no, we but don't your want kid, to. But they don't, don't, they're to. not relying on you. Your kids who are how old now? 13, 10, and 13, 7? 13, 10, and 7, yeah. 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 It's amazing that I know your kids' ages. That's odd. Uh, it's not. They're not <laughs> relying on you to say to show them oh there's a guitar w- would you like to try they know what that is if they're interested in it they'll mm-hmm. go to it yeah dad yeah. can i try the guitar that's not up to you to to dad i want to play baseball yeah. okay i think it's up to you yeah. to not say no right i just wish they asked me those things well you need to be do- closer you need to check in they just like minecraft they're like you know they're into this minecraft tournament world and you know, it's fine. What if they're the greatest Minecraft players of all time and they can Well, make- see, that's the thing. I mean, by the way, you have these Fortnite um, competitions now, the World Series, whatever the hell you want to call it. I mean, the $3 million to the Test winner. Test one, two. Can you guys if, hear me? Right. If, yo, yo. Hey, guys. Thanks so much. Sorry for interrupting. Adam will be seated in just a second no. here. And uh, if possible. Oh, my God. It's. That's it's so like we're pro. waiting for the president keep to this arrive. to uh, 50 minutes. Yeah, we'll even whatever. When when he's done, we're <laughs> when he's he done, get just, up and walk out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you guys. Actually, that would be better if he that would be great if he just did that mid-sentence. Just do a mic drop. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Well, if you like conversations with comedians and who doesn't, check out our <laughs> archives. Oh, I guess it doesn't matter if you clear your throat while I'm doing that. I laughed. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I won't think you're funny anymore. If you like conversations with comedians and who doesn't, check out our archives and our conversation with comedian and podcaster Jim Jeffries, where we discuss everything from vasectomies to hair plugs to stand-up comedy and opera singing. Huh? Can you just talk for a minute about your classically trained voice? Yeah, that, that was, I, I went to university, I was, I think I was 18 or something like that, and I I could sing a little bit. And so my summer job was singing for the Australian Opera in the chorus. You know, but it's the, it's the Australian Opera, you know, it's not like it's Italy or anything like that. You know, so <laughs> so you got you to remember there's only about 100 of us. Someone had to do the job. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this visual. I wish everyone could see. It's literally like waiting for like some sort of a president of some kind. Right. <laughs> right. We're, uh, like we're about to hear podium. from NASA. We're about to hear from NASA as the uh, Martian the rover Mars, has now landed. The Mars rover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there he is. There's uh, there my he is, the president. The, dude, It's we were just looking at your setup and you're so fucking pro and you've got this beautiful setup and you've got a podium and it looks like we were waiting for the president you know <laughs> president of what country <laughs> we don't know what war torn country yeah <laughs> hey uh, I, we were just talking i can't imagine you and and maybe you don't maybe you're being uh forced to do something against your will. I can't imagine you wanting to go on any podcast at any time, no matter who asks for what reason. So thank you. Oh, yeah. But why do you want to do this? I love it. Or <laughs> I why love, are you I doing I love it? being interviewed. You do? You do? Yeah, I do. Why? Why? 
I don't know. I, what about I, I feel it? like I interview people all day long. And so, like, you know, I'm the person who works at the Manny Penny, Petty Place who wants a pedicure once in a while. I'm tired of working on everyone else's feet. <laughs> hey, when when you get, when you do interviews and stuff and, and I've broken this rule a thousand times and they, and they ask you not to ask certain questions or talk about certain things, do you adhere to that or do you say fuck it and, and just ask the questions anyway? Have we started, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, for me, it's it's kind of tough. Like it is a weird thing where it's like Monica Lewinsky wants to come on the show, but she just wants to talk about her handbags, and then mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. But isn't the audience kind of wanting to know about other facets of her multifaceted right. life? You know. So it's like on one hand, there's kind of the agreement you make with the person. And then on the other hand, there's the unspoken agreement you have with your audience, you know. And usually if it's like just don't bring up the divorce or the whatever, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, all right, well, you you agreed to it. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. sometimes it's so insanely um, obvious that you it, it becomes the elephant in the room, in which case you just get past it by saying, I know you said you didn't want to talk about blowing the president, but I do have a couple of questions and then you're good again. <laughs> right. No, but we, we were just we were also talking before you hopped on about, you know, there's an expectation for your audience to get the Adam Carolla treatment in an interview and and that's a good thing that's a positive i think that's a compliment because you have a unique way of looking at things you have a unique skill set and your sense of humor is so dry and so so time tested that you're going to want to get something out of a guest that the guest may not want to give and now we live in this era where honesty and openness is almost punished because if if you're really answering something, instead of putting on the fake, you know, outward-looking veneer that's there for everybody now, because we're all so guarded, you know, they're going to have to really look inside and give you an honest answer. And I feel like for you, Adam, if you don't get it and you know you're not getting an honest answer, you're going to pick at that until you get an honest answer. And th- those are, I would imagine, becoming harder and harder to to pick away at and find because everybody's so guarded in today's society, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't do ourselves any favors by canceling everybody uh, for every faux pas or even non faux pas that ever crossed their lips because there is what it's going to create is an environment of just don't bother being interviewed. And, and if you do just kind of stick to the talking points for the new project or the book or the movie. So we are inadvertently kind of silencing ourselves because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing in it for somebody to go be an open book on an interview, but there's potentially a lot of downside now. And most people and in most of sort of corporate America and individuals, they're more into sort of risk and harm mitigation than they than they are. Let's flourish. So, 
you're good. We do live in an environment now where you're just going to have a lot less people doing a lot less interviews. You know, Chris Harrison of uh, The Bachelor was probably going to mm-hmm. think twice before he sits down and discusses anything with anybody where there's a hot mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah. It, it just happened to me on on somebody else's podcast where you'll say something. And then the producers of that podcast will create some sort of a moment and then pump that out. And then it, that becomes it's it just becomes clickbait, which is it's kind of, you know, it's dumb to even say because everybody's tired of hearing about it. But it's a real thing and clickbait. So now I'm the guest. I've said something. It gets pumped out. It becomes clickbait. Now it comes back around on me to re-explain and say, well, what you read in the clickbait headline isn't at all what I said. Here's what I said. And that, so it almost eats itself to the point where everybody has been driven into this middle boring lane. And there are so few people that are willing to be honest. I can think of a couple off the top of my head, one being Charles Barkley, who seems to legitimately not care if you don't like what he says. He's good with that. He's fine. And and it's it's a short list of people. I feel like you're on that list, which is why. Well, yeah, no, my I was hat about to ask is that, off to I was, you. I was about to ask that question. I mean, you've been doing this for so long. Have you had to censor yourself? You know, have you had to sort of grow with the times and 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 podcast accordingly? Well, so a couple answers. One is is Charles Barkley has basically decided to present himself as somebody who says what he's thinking and then doesn't apologize. So he gets left alone because he doesn't apologize. You know, he basically did, which more people and more entities should do. They do what Trader Joe's did. You know, remember, I don't know, two years ago, there was some 17-year-old from the Bay Area that wanted Trader Joe's to take down all their, like, senior taco, you know, senior Jose taco shells and salsa. And the, uh, all, they, they had their different, you know, they had the spaghetti sauce with the Italian name and they had the, mm-hmm. they had the taco shells <laughs> with the Spanish name and they had the uh, Chinese food with the Chinese name. And... There was a big thing like, hey, you got to take that stuff off the shelves. And Trader Joe's just went, no. And then we left Trader Joe's alone. There's no repercussion. <laughs> Everyone's Trader right. Joe's is the Charles Barkley of of supermarkets. Food. Yeah, of supermarkets. Yeah, yeah they I are. And, and by the way, not only did that whole thing blow over immediately the second they said no, they never doubled back. They never came back to Trader Joe's. You know, these People mm-hmm. are feral cats, and if you put a saucer of milk out for them, uh, there'll be more feral cats in your backyard the next day. That's how it is. They want their mm-hmm. saucer of milk. Trader mm-hmm. Joe's and uh, and Charles Barkley go, no, uh, no saucer of milk for you. And then they get left alone because ultimately they want an apology because ultimately they want the control that that affor- uh, affords them. Mm-hmm. And what about you? Have you had to change it up? No, I, I say whatever it is I'm I'm thinking, and and I think there's certain elements of, you know, well, you don't say Indian anymore. You say Indigenous people or American Indian or Native American or something. You know, there's certain kind of cultural things that just kind of you move forward and you modify. Um, but outside of that, no. 
And well, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. go I'm ahead. gonna go take care of my children. If you know what I mean. Oh, okay. Well, good. See it how was, he do it. It was, it was fine before he Why? said, "You know what I mean." Why? Right. Oh, Why? yeah. He's yelling at his kids. I can't even hear his kids. Um, it's. I think it's interesting with you, Adam, and and I know you a little bit, and I, I was fortunate enough to get to go on your show, and then. You were nice enough to take me down the street and and show me this incredible car collection. You you have made a career for yourself by working your ass off. And and I don't know that people know how hard it is to do what you've done. Your your hustle quotient to me is through the roof. And as you look back at kind of the start of what we're doing right now, Oliver and I were talking. I mean, you are kind of the godfather of this. I don't know anybody that 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 figured out how to monetize their innermost thoughts and these dialogues like you did. I, am I right? Were you kind of one of the first guys to do this? Yeah, one of them. I mean, I'm on year twelve actually today is as my twelve year anniversary of well, congratulations, yeah. <laughs> congrats. Um, yeah, I may be amongst the first people to do it kind of privately without being under the umbrella of, you know, ESPN or some other entity. And then maybe amongst the first in the independent world to sort of say, well, why don't we just take the model that is, you know, time proven of TV and radio, which is, um, talk get an audience and then sell commercial time to, to the people that want to pay for it with, with your audience. And it, it never struck me that it was going to be anything different than that. I I think people had notions of, of different avenues to go down. You know, the first, so when I first started podcasting, the general consensus was in, you know, 2009, the general thought was, well, nobody buys advertising and podcasting. That doesn't exist. And my thought was, well, it doesn't exist because it this thing's 10 minutes old, but it, it's going to exist. I mean, what if somebody just had 10 million people listening to their podcast every day. You don't think mm-hmm. uh, Budweiser would be interested in reaching those 10 million people. So like for me, I, I didn't, I, there, there's a c- kind of a convention, you know, it's like, well, people, advertisers advertise on television shows and on terrestrial radio shows, but they don't advertise on podcasts. And my thing was like, well, that'll have to change when there's more podcasts and there's a bigger audience and becomes more ubiquitous. So that was my first thought. And then my second thought was sort of like, well, I've been doing radio for a long time and you talk for a while and then you stop and you do a couple of commercials and then you come back and talk again. What is different about this. And the, the answer was always, the answer always is for anything. I mean, it would have been for, I don't know, iPhones, you know I mean? Well, nobody has a phone that they just bring with them everywhere. It's like, yeah, nobody does in 1986, but at some point it may be, it may change. So my thing was like, just because it didn't exist doesn't mean it's not going to exist. So I'm just going to move forward without it existing for a long time. And I think it. what else happens is at least we're all basically of a certain age 
when you go on, you're on this podcast. If I go on yours, if I go on whatever, it, it, I bring into it as an interview subject a different mentality. I it is different if I go on somebody's podcast. Maybe that's dangerous because it gets me in trouble. But I I feel like you get a different side of people, despite what we said at the beginning of this, that is still a little bit more real instead of, you know, your pal Jimmy or Letterman or Carson, all those kind of manufactured, planned out, talk to the producer, he's going to ask you this, go into this story, come back. It's just so phony. And 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 on a podcast, you have the opportunity to really just hear somebody talk for an extended period of time. And within that time, there's going to be something in there that really reveals who they are. And and that's what I think the beauty of a podcast is. And well, that, that's, that's why I, I do mean, this. Stern, Stern you know, enabled guests to be able to have that longer form interview. You know what I mean? And now it's sort of switched over. Well, podcasting. you know, you have to just think about the presence of an audience in a studio versus an audience at home um, listening. So when you go do a late night show that we've all done dozens of times, you have a you have a you have bleachers with three hundred people in them, and you cannot have the same conversation that you would at breakfast with a good friend of yours, you know, drinking a Bloody Mary. That conversation is going to change because the audience forces it to change. You know, the audience kind of takes the metronome and it speeds it up. Nobody wants to go out and be a guest on a late show and get up there and bloviate for four minutes without a laugh, right? Like you're on a different cadence. It creates a different conversation. What, just imagine even even your orientation, you know what I mean? Like when you do a podcast, even in the remote version that we're doing now, everyone is looking each other in the face. When you do a late night show, you face the audience. You know, you're not even really facing the person True. that's conducting the interview. So, I mean, you mm -hmm. just physically orient yourself toward this group who, who you're playing for. But, I mean, imagine how your conversation would change if you were sitting down at that breakfast with a friend having a Bloody Mary on a Sunday versus 300 people around you listening to that conversation. Don't you think it would change and modify the conversation? And of course, the answer is, of course it would. And would you be yeah. as forthcoming or open or, or you know, summon up a deeply held thoughts? I don't think so. So it is not only the, the long form version of this that lets you get into sort of deeper subjects, but the mandate, you know, that audience mandate that it that it creates. What do you think? What do you think about all the assholes like ourselves who are just everyone's podcasting? I mean, it has blown up to the point where even, you know, I have another one with my sister and we sort of started a year ago and it wasn't even close to what it is now. His sister's Kate Hudson, by the way. Did you know yeah, that? Yeah, Kate Hudson. I don't think from Almost Famous. I don't think both of you are assholes. But I'm not going to say which Just one. one. Right. Okay. Um, you know, for me, when I started, 
I would, I would interview all these comedians and all these personalities and all these folks 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you know, and I would go, they'd kind of look around and they go, Oh, this is cool, cool setup, you know? And I go, yeah, you should do a podcast. Like, why don't you do it? And the answer I got, you know, years ago was just like, Oh, I couldn't do it every day or even every week. Like there was, it was a weird thing. It was a block, you know, it's like comedians who went out and did three or four sets a night every night were telling me I couldn't do a daily. I couldn't commit to like there was some sort of time (laughs) commitment or something. And, and I was coming at it from a sort of naive place, which was like, well, you just sit and talk like, you know, interview another comedian or, or whomever. Um, but I think what they were really saying nine years ago, as I think about it is they were kind of going, why should I do a podcast? Podcasting don't, don't exist essentially like like they're just going why should i do it because magically everyone has now found the time to do a podcast (laughs) (laughs) uh back then nobody had the time does it bug you at all i mean honestly or do you care or i mean it is what it is but is there a part of you that's like you know i mean fuck all these people are now just doing this to do and, and and i guess the other question is why you know, are they trying to make money or is this just an outlet for a lot of these celebrities, I guess, who are doing podcasts now? Yeah, it is interesting that all of a sudden everyone has something to say, which is it couldn't right. mathematically be couldn't couldn't hold true mathematically. But <laughs> uh, no, for for me, I've first off, I I do not weave myself into equations very often. So when people say, look at you, you're the reason why I decided to start a podcast or look at you, you, you know, whatever it is they say, I always just kind of go, oh, okay. Like I, I never think about people factoring me into the equation and I don't factor me into the equation either. So if the fact that there are many, many more people doing podcasts now than, the, than there were when I started is something I never give any consideration to. Let's uh, let's talk about fatherhood for a second. You grew up in L.A., right? I mean, yes. didn't you grow up in L.A.? Mm-hmm. You did. Yes. And uh, tight family, brothers and sisters? Uh, not a tight family and one sister who's a year old. And what about, how, and how about your dad? I mean, did you have a, a strong relationship with your dad or was there a, a relationship with your father? No, I, d- I never had a strong relationship with my dad. My dad is sort of a nice enough guy who's kind of aloof and sort of into his world. And I was into sports and cars and throwing dirt clods and wrestling and being outside and jumping off of apartment buildings into neighboring swimming pools and stuff like that. <laughs> and my dad just sort of sat on the sofa and read a book. And now for you as a dad, and then we don't have to be finished with that. Sorry. But for you as a dad, does that kind of blow your mind a little bit? It, it, it does. I'm sure for Oliver, who's got his own story with his dad walking out. But once, once these people pop into the world, doesn't it just blow you away that, that certain people just don't, eh, okay. And then they just do their own thing. I mean, I would imagine you, Adam, as a thoughtful smart man you're 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 an invested father that that you know it puts puts the kids in the front of your mind 
Yeah, the part that is sort of vexing for me, and yeah, my parents were just checked out and sort of lukewarm on their kids and didn't didn't seem particularly interested. Um, and as a guy who's not, you know, the world's best dad, but a but a fair to middling dad. Uh, the part that always vexes me is, you know, I grew up very poor and, you know, some food stamps and welfare and just some poor conditions. And so everything kind of fell under the umbrella of, well, we can't do this because we're poor. We can't, we can't, you can't have a dog. We're poor. You know, you can't have a basketball hoop. We're poor. We can't go to Disneyland. We're poor. We can't go on vacation. We're poor. I think it was poor. But as I realized with my kids, um, I hug them all the time. I kind of screw around with them a lot. You know, I'll grab their hair and go, oh, you know, I'll say stupid stuff. Like I got a 110 pound Labrador named Phil and I'll go, Phil, he's the number one dog in the USA. He's number one. (laughs) And they'll go, what? I'll go, he's the number one dog in the USA and you own him. You own Phil. And and they'll go like, what? And they know I'm fucking screwing around the whole time. You know, I'm, just yeah. stupid stuff with them. But that develops their personality. I mean, that you're putting into them yep. what you're going to see come back out. Because my kids, I've got 24, 21, and now two-and-a-half-year-old twin boys doing it again. The older two are girls. When you develop it, and all I I lived to bother my kids. Me because too. if they can yeah. put up with me bothering them, yep. pulling their hair, pinching them a little bit, you know, giving them shit, making them think, you know, not always coming back with the same baby talk every time. You feel like you're kind of developing uh, an exterior, a toughness and a sense of humor that they're going to use the rest of their lives. And, you know, getting back to the monetary part, it's free. You can go for a walk with your kid. Go for a walk. It doesn't right. I don't care what your FICO score is. Go go for a walk or hug your kid or tell your kid you love them, you know, or have a sense of humor with them or tell them you're proud of them or screw around with them. It's it's all free. You know, all the all the important stuff once you get past, you know, sustenance, you know, is mm-hmm. it's free. And that's the part that's kind of vexing i think as i as i get older like why did you make a did you make a decision though i mean did you ever make a decision because of sort of how you grew up and your parents didn't pay much attention that you were not going to be that and you were did you make a choice to be a more you know informed their father i was like when i was probably in my early 20s i was like ugh, like I knew I was a mess because of where I came from, you know, Mm. and I I had a pretty rational, sober thought, which is like, look, it's not your fault that you don't know how to hug people or what life is or how to say I love you or any of that stuff. So you're going to have to work on it. And then uh, you should delay having kids until you can get yourself into the place where you would be that parent that you would like yourself to be, that you will not be at 26 and a half at all. So Damn. delay Art. it, fix yourself, work on yourself, and then have kids, and then they'll never know that version of you. Wow. That's that's really an amazing way to approach it because so many people just say, fuck it, I'm having kids, you know, knowing farewell, very well that they, they, they can't be 
as good of a parent as they probably sh should be if they do that work on themselves. Yeah, well, who amongst us, you think about what you were when you were 24, 26. Oh, God. You think about what you were thinking, like who you were, what kind of man you were, what kind of yeah. citizen you were, what kind of neighbor you were. Like who, what, who amongst us isn't so much better now than they were then. And so that was just a math that was easy for me to do, even though I well, didn't I always, know who I would be. Yeah. I always, I mean, I've said this before. I, I feel like we're we're all we all we're all we all fuck up our kids always. It's just about what degree to what degree we fucked them up. You know, I mean, we're trying our best. We're doing what we can do, and, and we have sort of an instinct, an intuition. But at the end of the day, there are going to be small things that are going to stick with them that that screw them up a little bit. You know, just it's natural. <laughs> yeah, my approach is. I don't get that far up in my head about it. Like mm -hmm. I, I do know what bad parents are and I would never drift into that lane. Uh, but I also don't have to be the number one best parent. You know, I just have to be a good parent. Like I don't need to be a great parent. I, I do feel like sometimes it becomes kind of self-congratulatory. Like who are you being the best parent in the world for? Is it for the kid or is it for you or for your <laughs> wife to see you? Or, you know, what point does it become about you yeah. being the greatest? My, my feeling is, is you need to be consistent. You know, you have to, if you, if you say to them, I'll take you to the park Saturday morning, you have to take them to the park on Saturday morning. Now you don't, have to take them to the park on Saturday morning. You just have to not tell them on Thursday, this is what we're doing. It's fine to say, I can't go Saturday morning. You're on your own Saturday. But once yep. you say, this shall be done, then they need to know that what you say uh, is consistent. And I also feel like most of what I do is try to lead by example. Like I will mm -hmm. just say, I have to go to work. Or they'll say, Come on, we're all going blah 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 on Friday, and I'll go. Well, streaking I have to in work. the quad. Streaking yes, in the quad. We're all going to streak in the quad on Friday. Come on, old man. And I go. I have to work on Friday. I'll come to the quad and get naked on Monday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true. But I, to me, the word that that jumps to my mind, and and may, this is probably terrible to say. And it would be in no expert's book about how to be a parent is there's got to be some factor of guilt in there. Like, I, I feel like I feel guilty if I'm not engaged with my kids, if I can be. Now, I'm, I'm out of town a lot. I'm going to games. I'm working. You're you're every day. You're doing your thing. But if I'm there, guilt gets me off the couch and to the playroom or guilt gets me off the couch and outside to the swing set or get, and I don't think that's bad. I, I just, I, I think that drives me and, and it's probably a terrible word to use. Uh, but that's what jumps to mind when I think, how can I, I've been gone. These kids are dying to spend time with me. My guilt takes over. I'm like, all right, I know I'm tired. I got in at two o'clock in the morning, but damn it, I'm getting up with them and I'm going to do breakfast with them and I'm going to, see this day through. I, I, and is that a bad word to use with regard to parenting? No, but I also feel like, you know, I had a, uh, 
I'm going to name drop here, but um, several years ago, Vince Vaughn, who was a neighbor at the time, and his wife and my wife, we decided to walk to dinner and go out to dinner, go to a local place. We walked there and we were walking back. It was all, you know, where my get my kids in soccer and we're, we we have a coach and we have a tutor and nonstop kid talk for about three blocks. And when we got to the house, I said, uh, you know, we have officially talked more about our kids in the last four blocks than my parents had in the, my entire childhood, like <laughs> zero to 18. Like we, th- at a certain point, you know, we all grew up differently, but I grew up completely free range, you know, just run around, go do what you do. Everyone has a, a version of that. Um, at a certain point, you can't just sit and think about your kids all day or talk about your kids all day or sort of plan for your kids all day. They're individuals. They're separate than you. They need to kind of find their way. Sometimes it means they have to be bored. You know, you think about how much we got out of being bored and how creativity, how creative we got and the things we needed to do to try to figure out ways to kind of amuse ourselves. You know, they're going to, they're going to fall. They're going to get cut. They're going to get bruised. They got to, pick it up, you know, like at a certain point, you have to realize that they are in a rarefied air. Our kids are certainly if you take a look at the world or world history, they're growing up better than 99.99, you know, percent. Like I said to my son the other day, I said, when it comes to the world, where do you think you're at? Like as a kid, you know what I mean? And he's like, 99%. 99%. I was like, you're higher than 99%. Like you, you, you're, you're in, in almost every category of life, nutrition and square footage and dental and medical and dads that hug and moms that hug you're, you're above everyone who came before you 99.9. So I don't need to get you to a hundred percent. You know, you can hang out at 99.85. <laughs> I love that, man. That is, that, it's, I relate to that entirely, you know? I mean, that's the way that I like to do it. I, 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 I just, I can't tell you how much that that, that is just, it hits me. That's exactly how I do it. Joe talks about guilt. For me, there's a fear, I guess, just because my dad, you know, left when I was a kid and, and it, and it, and it, for sure affected me in my life and in my relationships and in my career and my self-esteem and everything else, you know, dealing with all that shit growing up and, you know, you still deal with it. <clears throat> but the one thing I didn't want to do was repeat that pattern um, and, and, and be that kind of a guy for my children. So I guess it's not guilt, but there's also fear for me personally, because it's like, if I'm not there, am I fucking them up in some kind of a way? And I know it's irrational, you know, that's what gets me out of bed sometimes is, all right, you, you got to be there because, you know, the, you, someone wasn't there for you and you don't want to repeat that pattern. You know, that's that sticks well, with you me know, even though I know it's not real. My thought on that is for all, you know, Joe was talking about going out of town, calling games, being on the road. I have that scheduled to some degree as well. And what I've really figured out with kids is it's not about 
you being physically present. You know, I've always said there are people whose dads walked out on them when they were, when they were young, like Oliver. And that, that leaves a mark, that leaves a scar. But what if your dad was shot down in Vietnam in MIG Alley flying an F-4 with, you know, 22 MIG kills before before they got mm-hmm. him and he perished in Vietnam? Well, both scenarios are your dad is not physically around. One is your dad's a war hero. The mm-hmm. other is, and, and, you know, had your picture on, on the dashboard of his F-14 last thing he saw before he went into uh, the Mekong Delta, right? So that's one version. And then there's your version, right? Now, he just went to, his dad just went to Malibu. Yeah, he hopped in a van with his twin brothers and they took off. I've seen the show. So they, they got their, uh, they got their bib overalls, their tie-dyed bib overalls. They jumped into a van and they took off the mallet. Right? I've seen the opening of the show. So the, the point is this. So, so there's three, there's three versions. Let, let's explore the three versions of, of dad. Uh, there's Oliver, dad split. Um, he was around. He was healthy. He knew you existed, but he decided to split. There was my version, which is my dad didn't really, my parents got divorced, but my, it wasn't like my dad left. He was there, but in a weird way, worse, not interested and on the premises, you know, like he was on site and didn't give a shit about his kids. So we had to watch him, we had to physically watch him not being interested. (laughs) Then the third is the dad that died uh, in the F4 over MIG alley, right? Well, so all three of us had dads that weren't there or, or all three of those scenarios are versions of dads that weren't there. But the MIG alley guy, that doesn't leave the scar mm-hmm. that that your dad and, and my dad left. So then what is it? Is it about proximity or is it about knowing, you know, like, Joe, you go mm-hmm. out on the road and you're gone for four days. But your kids know that you're earning a living, that you're coming back, that you're doing it for them. I go out. I go on the road all the time. My kids don't physically need to see me in the house that night, but they do know that they're going away, that I'm going away to earn money, to, you know, keep the family fed and the, you know, the heat, heat, keep the lights on. And so it doesn't create an anxiety. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think there's a big... And I've never heard, if you ever hear a child talk about a dad who was away a lot, but who was like for business or a salesperson or something like that, they'll always go, my dad wasn't here a lot because he was like a traveling salesman and he'd have to go out all the time and he'd be gone for two weeks at a time. But he loved us. He took care of us. Like he he took care of his family. You know, like there there's a reverence mm-hmm. there for that yeah. guy. And mm-hmm. a disdain for the ones that just went to Malibu with their brothers in a van. So mm-hmm. I I think it's a little misnomer, like your kids need you physically hovering around them. Mm-hmm. They need to know that you're taking care of business and that you're taking care of them, but not that you're physically in the same room with them all the time. Yeah. If you're enjoying this conversation, share the love. Tell a friend about Daddy Issues. 
and go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do you model being a husband? Are you good? Are you a good husband? It's a tough question Not, to answer. No, I'm I'm a better I'm a better dad probably than I am a, a husband. I uh I've never been like I've been an okay mate, you know, but I've never been a great mate because I didn't learn the intimacy, you know, and I didn't I didn't I, I got a kind of a weird independence how I grew up, which I do kind of like just sitting in the den, kind of left alone, you know, like, you know, the couples that read a book together, like every night, uh, I'm in my yeah. den drinking, watching Charlie's angels <laughs> 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 or Starsky and Hutch at uh, 1145. Amazing. Well, and what was your escape as a kid sports? You know, I mean, what was your, I escaped to sports and other people's houses like i figured out i figured out pretty early and often that a lot of my friends had central air in their house and and dinner they'd have pork chops for dinner on friday nights and mom cooked and they had a big color tv set maybe the maybe there was a pinball machine somewhere so for me i was like all those all that stuff is stuff I don't have. So I'm going to go hang out. You know, I remember seeing wall-to-wall carpet and central air. And I'm like, my mind is blown, man. There's cold air coming out of a vent in the wall. Like, this is insane. We had one of those stupid boxes that went in the window, and it was just in one room, you know, kind of thing, just buzzing away all night yeah. during the hot summer nights in the valley. So for me... Sports was a major thing for me. I was good at it. I loved it. I immersed myself in it. I needed the discipline that I wasn't getting at home. I needed kind of the father figures of the Pop Warner football coaches that were being like 70s Pop Warner football coaches were back then. So, like, I crave that discipline, the regiment, you know, because my my home was chaotic with no rules and every kind of every man for themselves kind of Lord of the flies. Mm -hmm. So I liked being yelled at by the kind of drill sergeant that was the football coaches back then. And then I would just, I, I went to everyone else's house and I, I would just eat all their food. And, you know, I, I remember like seeing pictures of like the family on a ski vacation, like on the mantelpiece or them in Hawaii two years ago, you know, mm. all wearing the Hawaiian shirts. And I'd just look at it. I'd be like, who the, who goes to Hawaii? Like, how does that even work? Like, how would you, how would you even orchestrate all four of you? And then like, when, when you got to Hawaii, what would you do? Like, where would you stay? Like, who, you, you have friends in Hawaii? Like, I, the whole hotel and airlines and, like, credit cards and stuff, it, it was all, it all escaped me. I, I've, you, tried to, I've tried to listen to the verb tenses since you got on. I assume your dad is alive. Yes, correct? my dad, my, both my parents are alive. Okay, so has, with your success, and it's 
incredible success. And I mean, I could get into so many things you've done. I've got it all sitting here in a packet. I would rather talk about this kind of stuff. Have they, has your dad come back around now that you have a friggin' car no. museum down the street? Or, I mean, you got to give him that for consistency then. I mean, if he didn't oh, yeah. care then, he's not into Adam <laughs> Carolla, like, the successful guy. <laughs> no, I, you know, and it is a, it is a, a trap or a little game I think people play with themselves, which is my dad, sort of scholarly but poor, but like his ideas just like of a good Saturday night is just sitting on a sofa reading a psychology book. So at the beginning for me, I was like, well, you're a high school football star. I mean, he's not into sports. Like he's not into that. And then later on, I was like, I was a carpenter, but it's like, he's not into that. He doesn't have tools. He doesn't, he doesn't like that. And my mom is kind of the same way. And then later on, I, I taught boxing and I was like, yeah, but they're not into that. They don't, they don't like boxing. And then, you know, I start doing the man show and I'm like, yeah, they don't, they don't have cable. They're, they're not, they're they not into like that TV. stuff. They don't like, they don't like stuff. entertainment. Right. And I started doing love line and like, ah, it's on K rocks kids station I, they're not in a, that and then i start doing all these different what about crank yankers they like <laughs> not, that they i guarantee they don't know what it is it's but but God, it is, it's so good but there was one thing that so here's where really i had this kind of eureka moment about four or five years ago which is my mom is the same way she didn't care about any of it didn't know about it didn't, never had you know i had two shows on basic cable she never had basic cable the whole time I was on cable. So that's who my parents are. And then I wrote books and made documentaries and stuff like that. And I, I realized they didn't consume any of it, but my mom always, as the only thing we ever did as a family is for the Oscars, we would go to my grandma's house who had a color TV set and they were interested in the entertainment industry and stuff. And so for the Oscars, we'd kind of come together as a family and watch the Oscars every year at my grandma's house. So at a certain point, Jimmy was going to host the Oscars and I was going to write for the Oscars. And after, you know, two decades of, you know, love line, man show, race cars, boxing, football, like, ah, we, we don't like any of that stuff. I thought, all right, now we're at the Oscars. And, you know, my mom, came over for a visit and uh, I said, you know, you know, Jimmy's hosting the Oscars and I'm going to be writing for the Oscars. And she's like, yeah, okay. What's uh, let's talk about brand muffins for the next hour. <laughs> and then like <laughs> after the Oscars, she came over and uh, my wife said, did you watch the Oscars? This is with Jimmy hosting. And she's like, ah, not really. Uh, and then my wife said, well, what'd you think? And she's like, oh, a little hit and miss. And then I realized, oh, that's that's who she is. It, it doesn't. So we think once we find something they like, mm. they're going to be into it. That's not the problem. Yeah, it's not about that. It's it's it, it's way it's way deeper than that. It's way more nuanced yeah. than that. You know, yeah. it it runs so much deeper than that. It's as if is imagine being a dad where it's like, well, son. I like football, but I hate soccer. So if you're a soccer star, I'm not going to any of those games. It sounds unimaginable, right? That you would pick and choose, you know, 
I'm a car guy, but I'm a Mopar guy, and you got yourself a Nissan, so I'm not interested in you anymore. Like, it's stupid, but you do think that way. You think, oh, when I when I finally tap into something that's their language, that they understand, like what could be for them writing for the Oscars, being at the Oscars, best friends hosting the Oscars, finally it's going to come neither one of them changed one beat and was as equally as disinterested in the Oscars as they were in race cars, man show or whatever. So what would it have been like a brand eating psychologist? What, what would, what would you have had to have become to have them into your success or your story? Well, that's just it. Nothing. It doesn't work. Right. Well, like I said, we all know the people that have kids that are like, Brandon got a job at the postal sorting facility in Arlita. And then they'll talk to you about it for 40 minutes, you know? Right. And it's like, oh, they're into their kid. They're not into postal sorting. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We've all had the parents talk to us about nothing that their kid did for half an hour. So it's not really about the achievement yeah. or the vocation. It's, it's about, about the kid. Right. Yeah. And, and if they're in, they're in. No matter what. And if you're at, if they're out, yeah. there's nothing yeah. that'll get them in. What about what about with your with your kids as grandparents? Has there been a shift there at all? No. No, no. they're just kind of who they are. That's And your just, kids are like, "Yeah, grandpa and grandma, they're whatever." <laughs> yeah, that's 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 who it is. Like you figure it out and you realize, all right, this is who they are. And you kind of stop asking. Did you have an acceptance? Meaning, was there a moment of like, you know what? I, I don't need to try to impress them anymore or make them proud in any way. I'm just going to do whatever the fuck that I do. And I can't, you know, I'm over it. Or, or is that still always in the back of your mind? Like, is, you know, just. I had, you know, when I was younger, I had this clear thought, which is, you know, when I was 15 or something, I was like, you two aren't into anything I do now, but one day I may be doing things that you are interested in and it'll be payback time. Like I remember having that thought consistently, like, fine, I'm a peon, functionally literate, you're not interested. <laughs> I get it. But at some point, I may be doing something that is interesting, and I'm not going to share that world with you. And I remember having that thought, like a kind of vindictive thought early on. What I didn't really anticipate is they still wouldn't be into shit later on, <laughs> even when I was doing things that were uh, extremely interesting. That's amazing. I, I like weird. So I they showed love me your parents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're they are as as consistent as anybody. Well, yeah. there's nothing there's nothing worse than the dad that abandons the kid and then the kid makes it to the NBA and the next thing you know he's wearing the kid's yeah. jersey yeah, and showing exactly. it. My dad would have never done that. I could have started it forward with the Clippers. He'd never buy my jersey and be seeing the crowd. And one could argue at least he's not a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So why'd you pick the Clippers? Isn't Lakers your middle name on uh, your driver's license? 
Yeah, I, I I should have. I just didn't think I'd start on the Lakers. Oh, <laughs> so you were like denigrating that. yourself. <laughs> yeah, <a little> bit. <laughs> you're yeah. relegating yourself to the Clippers. All right, we know you got to go. Uh, it would be it would be our honor. I know I can speak for Oliver on this. Mm. If since you have to go, I ask you a final question, and then in the middle of your answer, just before we get to the crux of the of the matter and what you really want to say, you just leave. Okay. <laughs> Okay. That. Is that? Yeah. Can you do that? No okay. one's better at leaving than me. Perfect. Okay. Good. Um, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask the question that we asked many, many years ago that Oliver came up with the one second of homework he did on our podcast, mm-hmm. which was if if there's one trait you have carried forward from your dad to you as a dad now, for you as a dad now, what would that be? Well, there is one, and it's very important, and it plays a part in my life on a daily basis, and I think it would also be pretty life-changing to all of your listeners. So there is no more important trait. There is no, I can't emphasize this trait enough, and like I said, to anyone who's listening, Once you hear this trait, your game, not only as a parent, but as a human being, as a world citizen, and as a lover, will change forever. And the one trait that my dad passed the... There you go. (laughs) Adam Carolla, ladies and gentlemen. Adam Carolla. There you go. Thank you, buddy. Brilliant. (laughs) That's awesome. Bye. Thank you. Love you, brother. Love you, Adam Lakers Corolla. Adam. That was perfect. There you go. Amazing. God, what a man. God, he's good. What a man. What a man. What a mighty good man. What a man. What a man. He's got such a a, a healthy take on it. I love, I just, it's so. You're so envious. I was just so grounded and, and thoughtful, you know, and analyzed in a way, but not not in a bad sense. It's sort of, this is just what it is. And you work with what you have. And, uh, you know. I don't sense any bitterness. No, not you know, at like all. It, I feel like I would be so bitter. He's done I'd it. I'd be bef- like you. I'm not bitter. You're bitter. You're scared and bitter about what happened to you. And now you're trying to, you know, break the mold and stop the chain, pull the chain. I'm trying to pull the chain. Yeah. Adam is just very unbitter, which is admirable. Yeah, but I mean there's no doubt he he's wants to be wanted to be a better dad than his father. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know if he necessarily said that, but when you grow up like that and you have kids and he said it perfectly. He's like, "Well, the bar was low." Well, it's like I'm going to do work on myself. I'm going to figure my shit out. Before I have kids, so I don't do the same thing or be or become the same person, you know. Yeah, my dad is. So I'm going to figure my shit out, and then I'll have children, and that's what he did. And he seems to be a very great dad, a realistic dad too, you know. A, a great <laughs> box set. If I can just throw this out, and it's not politically correct, mm-hmm. I got it. Crank Yankers. Yeah. The first, the first season, yeah. which yeah. I I had the box set of DVDs or whatever they were yeah. back then, DVDs. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
So recurring funny. characters, so funny. So funny. People's reactions. They're basically prank calls. Yeah. But they're done so smartly. And then for those who don't know, they set the call. They made puppets. Yeah. And acted is acted it out the conversation as puppets, and it is so good. Yeah, and just like cry funny. Yep, not all of them, but a lot of them. No, and they're all they're they're very memorable. It's a good watch. Well, it's just great, anyway, especially with Adam and and a lot of these guys who. Kimmel, Sarah Silverman's in. Yeah, it. Uh, well, they're so smart. You know, they're such smart comedians and. They're just smart writers as well and and great actors. And and they do what they think is funny. And they don't care about necessarily conforming, you know, or fitting something in a box so it can get sold. They just do what's them. They do what they think is funny. And and I I love that. You know, and I think and, I, and now we know he's the Steve Jobs of podcasts because he did understand how this could be monetized yeah. before it was actually monetized. Yeah. Now here we are drafting, we're drafting off this classic car aficionado. I know. If you ever go to, I think it's in the Valley. I don't know LA that well. I think that's where I was. Yeah, it's definitely in the other side. You go, you go to his studio. It's it's a great experience. It's a huge studio. You could live in it. And then you could walk down the street and he opens these doors to a classic car collection, mm. the likes of which I've never seen yeah. anywhere. Ferraris and, uh, you know, Aston Martins and all these like race cars, old time race cars. Wow. Uh, that just, and I'm not a huge car guy and I was blown away going going through like like i've got one of 86 that were ever made in the history of time i have it and that's it i mean that's that is the level of success mm. that he has yeah uh, achieved by being not always the front guy just putting stuff together yeah thinking of new ways new shows funny takes uh and the guy's flat out worked his ass off yeah. so i i'm a huge fan me of too. his and he's obviously brilliant me too me too i dig him well, that was I'm fun. A big man. fan of you too. Huh? I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm a big Oliver Hudson fan. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it's one. I got one fan in you, and that's all that matters, buddy. That's it. Thanks, Oliver. Well, I'm here. I'm here um, for you. All right. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, 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 fun. Till our daddy takes our T-bird away. Till our daddy fun, takes fun, our T-bird away. Dad, it takes a T-bird away. How about that he knew the story of your dad, like getting in the van with his brothers and no, I know. out of your life. I, I know. And their tie-dye uh, overalls. <laughs> uh, okay, brother. I'll talk to you next week. All right, lover. Well, I'll talk to you before then. Yeah, I will. But I'll talk to you with a Zoom call and a microphone mm, in my hand. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk uh, We'll talk just as normal people because right now we're putting on a total act. Total act. Yeah. This is not us. No. I'm playing and, Joe and Buck. I feel and like Joe the- Buck is playing Oliver Hudson. <laughs> hey, everybody. Go back and check out my stuff on Dawson's Creek. That was great. <laughs> well, hey, Oliver. How are you? Tried the corner in, man. Fastball outside. Hey, have you seen Michelle in her little outfit the other day? Hey, the kids <laughs> waking up with the kids. God, it's tough. I'm Wyatt. Oh, my dad left me in a. <laughs> I'm so sad. I'm, I'm 44. Oh, there you He's are. Late the- again. 
Can you get your fucking headphones to work? Jesus Christ, Oliver. Hold on. I got to find batteries for this thing. Okay. Oh, my God. I don't have batteries. Oh, I don't God. have batteries. Hey, Troy, can you uh, hang on a minute? Hey, Troy, can you go get me a, uh, a whiskey for the, for the second half of the game? <laughs> hey, anybody heard the story of me at 15 with a prostitute? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael, executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. 